right. Well, as you can imagine, uh, the day is a little bit different, uh, a whole lot different, I should say. And uh, I do cherish your prayers this morning as we take a look at uh, the events of the day and everything that we want to get done as well. And so we want to begin today by turning back to Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to look at more about the beast. All right, Revelation chapter 13, if you'll just give me a moment. I do appreciate all the prayers that have been lifted up uh, on my behalf. You know, in many ways, I, I, I try to, whenever I do my reading, I try to understand all the different things that goes on, and uh, you know... Um, there were two older sons of Aaron that had offered strange fire to, to God. And uh, when that occurred, then God took their lives. And with the commandment given unto Moses, they are not to mourn. Aaron is going to continue on with his duties and leave everything alone. Um, later on, we read in the scripture how they didn't eat. And Moses was upset about it. But then when the Kothites uh, were able to explain to him why they hadn't eaten of the holy bread, it satisfied Moses and it also satisfied everyone else. I, I say those things because I cherish your prayers. I mean, more than anything, we know that God is a God of graciousness. He's a God of goodness. He does so many things wonderfully. But at the same time, we should always be aware of his mercies and his care for us. What I'm about ready to read to you today, beginning in Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, is something that I had given myself over to a lot of thought, a lot of study, as I was preparing for the service today. And a part of what I've been looking at deals with what we know and what we anticipate. Now, how many of us think about this, just, just as a bar note? How many of us have ever considered the scripture where it says, where is the promise of his coming? Now, most of us, when we think about that, and when we, when we hear the words, uh, where is the promise, that is kind of given a little bit of detail that people of this generation know something about the scripture. But do you realize that the only people in our current day and age that know anything about the scripture are those that are in the house of God, supposedly. And how many people are given up on the return of Jesus Christ? I'm saying that very blatantly, and I say that very carefully, because, you know, I hold to the coming of the Lord. The idea that of a post-millennial position goes beyond my anticipation, my expectation, because there's no warning that can actually be given to that. There's one that says, well, he's going to come about three and a half years later. So if I know exactly when the Lord has already um, started the tribulational period, the mid-trib position doesn't make any sense to me. Post-trib doesn't make any sense because I can live through it all uh, during that entire position of seven years. And at the end of seven years, I would say, okay, what's going to happen? The only one that makes sense to me, and again, I know it's my human brain is getting involved with this, would be the sudden anticipation, the warning is all come to place, and the sudden appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ comes out of the blue. 
Now that is the one area that we all can agree upon. But there's one area that we don't understand. And again, the book of Revelation is a warning for us to be able to answer the questions of all of those that are around about us. Look, let me see if I'm not right. Verse 11. And it says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the, or out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and caused the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. And he goeth, and he doeth great wonder, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of, of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and to the uh, lineage of, image of the uh, beast should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all of us, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that, under, that hath understanding count the number of the beast for his number of the man, and his number is 603 score and 6. Let us pray. Again, Father, I pray that you will help us to understand the things that are written today, and help us, dear Father, to, uh, to look to your word, to guide and be blessed of you in so many partial ways. We know, Father, that every time that we have an opportunity to bow the knee before you or to come to your throne, we can come boldly, but oftentimes, Lord, we come not really considering the, the preciousness of the Word of God. We don't really consider how special this time should be with us. And so I pray, Father, that we might understand your blessings, your purpose, your guidance, your care, and may we rejoice in all things. And may we also, Father, take this word to heart, that uh, the wisdom that you allow me to speak of might be the, the powerful wisdom, and Lord, that there might be a direction and a care that we would understand the things that are written today. I need your help, Father. I need your strength. I need your clarity of thought. I need your direction in my life. So help me, dear Father, to do that which is right and holy. Guide and bless now. In Christ we pray. Amen. Now one of the things that I discovered as I began my studies today was the, the characteristic of these two horns as we see them in Daniel. So I'd like for us to take our part now, and if you can, hold your place here. Let's go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. And we're going to look at that this morning. Now what's interesting, we need to understand that everything that is given is by divine arrangement of God. Now we're going to look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And, and to this point, we've not really looked much at Corinthians. Now, we have to take one thing to, to, for, to, to heart. Were the things written of Paul truly inspired by the Holy Spirit? 
given to him by the Holy Spirit so that he penned them? Or were these things that he just conjured up in his mind? And the world which we live in, there's a lot of people that want to think about the conjuring. They're saying is, well, he hopes that these things will be true. No, there's more to that. In Daniel chapter 9, and we go down to verse 20, we find that Daniel is already preparing for the message, and he is giving clarity and understanding. Now understand this, all of chapter 9 is about his praying for Israel. Now please understand that. He has been praying that God would bless Israel, that God would forgive Israel, that, that he would bring Israel back into the, the eyesight, if you will, of the Father. You know, to deliver them out of their, their captivity, and so on and so forth. But in verse 20 he said, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing, now, you want to know the truth about what God wants to give. Those are three particular things we need to understand about our lives. Number one, are we speaking the true, true word of God? This word that we have before us, even before Daniel was written every little word, up to this point, he was putting everything together, but he was speaking the word of God and being an encouragement to all the Jews throughout the land. Now, here's what's interesting. All of the Judeans that were there, not everyone that left Judea was to go back into the promised land. Only those that had the promised land went back. So he was speaking to that. He was praying, Father, bless. How many of us remember that even when the decree came back from Darius, in chapter 6, I think it was, of this same book, that he said that there was a decree that went out by all the supposed wise men, knowing that Daniel would not forsake the praying to God of his care and his mercy. There was a determinate council of wickedness that said, we want to get rid of this Daniel. And so Daniel was cast into the lion's den, and once again, Daniel, later on when Darius rushed to the lion's den, he said to Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? And he said, fear not, Darius, come on, get off of it. My God is able to protect me, but to watch over me. And then a little bit later, all those lions were blessed because they did not chew on Daniel, they chewed on a lot of false prophets. Number one, he was praying, he was speaking, and the third one, he was confessing. Do you realize that many times when we do not confess our sins, we are eliminated, we're not even allowed to look into the mysteries of the scriptures the way we should. So when Daniel gave over to the confession, and literally all of chapter 9 is about confessing, not only for himself, but all the people that were in Babylon at that time, and he was confessing the sins of the people. Look what it says. And the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord God for the holy mountain of my God. Now this is all the stipulation. So he was praying for the people. I mean, let's, take it for, let's not take this for granted. Do you realize that the only reason that God protects us as a people is because there are the few remaining churches are not looking for what God can give us, but what God was already doing. Now, there's no secret, you know, there's no, no secret in the fact that I'm struggling. 
I'm struggling because my desire is that my family would be healed from the devastations that we have just faced the last 48 to 72 hours. I understand the devastation, the difficulty. But may I point this out to you that all of this is staring us in the face. And it brings back one particular question. Why do we pray to God? Are we praying to God for confession purposes? To confess even the sins that others have committed? Are we praying God? should. I remember many years ago that, uh, I, I think it was Carl Patusit, who was a brother in Christ, and uh, this was back when the second George Bush was the president, and, and how many of us remember the cavalcade that went all the way up uh, towards the Wheelersburg area as uh, the second George Bush went up there to meet a local person who had his own logging company, and, it, and I remember the, the testimony of Carl Patusin as he said, I walked into this one room and they said, when you walk, you're going to see a table ahead of you. Walk straight to that table. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Of course, they patted him down. Knowing Carl, he probably had his bib overalls on with a jacket so that he looked all formal. And the reality is he told the president right then, I mean, the president came out and met with him and he said, we need this railroad. And if you take away this railroad, we're, we're going to be done for. And I remember that George Bush said, we promise that you're going to have that railroad and it's going to take care of you. And I remember that afterwards, Carl Patusa made the comment, he said to the president, he goes, my wife and I pray for you literally every day. Now can we actually say that? Can we say that we pray for Biden every day? Carmela Harris every day? Can we say we pray for Obama every day? Can we say we pray for our leadership every day? I don't care who's in office. If we put our strengths and our desires upon one man, and we're thinking that he's going to lead us into the promised land, well, we got something else happening in our lives. We are not given over. In fact, I would encourage anyone and everyone to go back and read the struggle for independence, the struggle for freedom in our own country. Because there were many who did not want that freedom. We call them Tories today. And many of them fled into Canada. But may I point this out to you, they had no desire for the freedom that we hold so dearly, or we say we do. We hold it dearly, not because it's costing us anything, but because we are enjoying the freedoms to do so. My concern is, what's going to happen is when we have armed guards outside the doors that says, you can't come into this place anymore. And it's going to happen. How are we going to react then? Are we going to say, praise God from whom all blessing flows, there's a purpose in this? Or are we going to just bow our heads and walk away from it? Verse 21 says, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, he was in the midst of his praying, even the man Gabriel, the angel Gabriel showed up. He looked like a man. But notice what he has to say. While I had seen the vision of the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give.
give thee skill and understanding. Do you realize that Daniel had struggled to understand all he had been given the vision of God of what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. He struggled over those things. He struggled not only the coming of the Lord when he would be born. He struggled Daniel chapter 12, we find that Daniel is told, shut it up, Daniel, because this is not for, for your time. This is for another time. Let me just tell you this. When you pray, just anticipate that there's going to be struggles in all of your prayers. Now, I mean that with very sincerely. In, verse, in chapter 10, verse 12 of the same book, it says, Then said again to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst thy understanding and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Who is this? We don't know. It could, have been, it could have been Gabriel, but we're not told who this is. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who is that? That's Satan. Withstood me one and twenty days. Now I want to show this to you. Go back to verse 1 of the same chapter, and you're going to find that, well, verse 2 says, And in those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Twenty-one days he was literally, he was literally mourning to God. Help me to... is that the, the prince of Persia withstood the angel 21 days who was dispatched by God. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days, but look like the archangel. One of the chief princes came to me and remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall be what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So here's the thing we need to understand. When we read the word of God, yes, we interject what we think we understand. But it doesn't mean we have the clarity of understanding. Let's go back and let's see if I'm not right. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, here we are upon, here we see the Lord's message as it was given on the uh, Mount of Olives. And go down to verse 8, we find, first of all, the introduction to prayer. How many of us think we really know how to pray? Don't raise your hands because that's a, that, that's a rhetorical question. But how many of us really think we understand the power of prayer? When we pray, do we pray in reverence? Do we pray carefully? Or do we just say, now bless this Lord, the food that is before us, amen. I mean, how many of us really give in to prayer? Beginning in verse 8, it says this, Be not there, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what you have need of, even before you ask him. 
Unto this manner, therefore pray, yet ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And let's stop there for a moment. I, and and I, I can spend many hours on just how we should pray. Begin simply. May I say this to us? If we understand the simplicity of prayer, then there's a power behind that prayer. When I come before the Father, do you realize that I can come before His throne boldly? I mean, the Scripture teaches me that. But do you realize it is when I come before Father and knowing that He is the one that can take this life, take everything about me, and I say, Father, I struggle to understand the Scriptures. Give me the knowledge to understand it. Now, here's the reason why we don't have 21 days to worry about. Every one of us that are saved, we are dwelt with the Holy Spirit. The very one who wrote this message, the very one who inspired men to write this word, we are embodied. And do you realize that when I say God, with the true humility of prayer. Look what it says. After this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When was the last time that we really prayed and we said, Oh, Father, to him. Look what else it says. Thy kingdom come. Who can stop the kingdom of God? Not you, not me, none of us can stop it. It is given unto us the responsibility to go tell others of Christ. But notice, thy will be done. How many of us have ever thought about this? That it is in the Father's will to do all things perfectly. Our death may receive greater glory in God than all of our life. Look what else it says. In earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debtors. Watch this. As we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. How many of us really can literally say that I forgive those that have done me wrong? It is so easy to complain about what I've done or, you know, I'm trying to be holy, I'm trying to be righteous, and yet there are many people that I know I have offended. And let's be honest, we all can offend. And you cannot spend time around the Word of God without being offensive. But if I truly have offended anyone, even benounced, do you realize that Job offered up sacrifices for his children? Because he wanted to make sure that those sacrifices that he offered up for his children were in case they sinned and they didn't know it. How many of us have ever woke up in the middle of the night and something woke, up, woke us up? Maybe it was a fleeting dream like Nebuchadnezzar had, but something disturbed us. Can we say our thoughts in the night are pure? The reality is, is when we come before God and we say, please forgive us, he is the pure one. Verse 13 said, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine 
thine. Let's pray. We began with praise and we end with praise. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That is the reality of what we should be doing. But not only that, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then we're going to get right back to where we were, where we started. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have the, the second part of... We oftentimes don't spend enough time around 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But this is the, the primary message of what's going to happen to us. Let's go down, if you will, to verse 48. And notice how the Lord gives the message to Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit. As is the earthy, such are they which are that are earthy. And as the heavenly, they that are also heavenly. Let me stop here real quick. How many of us have our dreams and our hopes upon this earth? And how many of us see this earth in its corruption, especially here in America? We see the challenges, the wickedness, the corruption. But how many of us give great praise to God for what he has already done in us? Look at verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Not too long ago, I, I walked into Walmart, and this door greeter comes up to me, and he goes, and he asked me, I can't even remember the question. You, we, we presented this once before. And as I began to talk to him, he said, you're a child of God, aren't you? You're a preacher, aren't you? I'm in my I'm in my old flannel shirt. I'm in my blue jeans. I look nothing like the role of a preacher. Yet he could recognize it. Someone said, "How is it that they recognize it?" I don't know. Then I walk around going, "You may kiss my finger. You may do this." No, I didn't do anything like that. I just went in, did my shopping, got out. But he had a question. Have you ever thought about those people that have questions that God will send in your way and are you going to spend time answering those questions? If God sees fit to give you an answer, you better be ready with that answer. Look what else it says. We have the image of the earthy, but we really are in Christ. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. I bring those verses up to you because this is the, the truth. I am incorruptible when I live in Christ. Now let that, let that sink in. You know, someone, I think it was J. Vernon McGee many years ago made this statement. He said, I am, I am indestructible I'm immortal until God's done with me. Now that doesn't mean I go out and lay in the highway and say, all right, I'm, I'm in this country. You can't touch me. No, that's foolish. But the reality is, is that I know that when I preach the word of God, I'm doing so in his power and his strength. There are so many people in this world, and this goes into how I am feeling today, what I feel in my own heart today is the struggles of getting the message of Christ out to the world. Let me, let me just say this. Do you want to stop abortion? Preach Christ. Just preach Christ. 
Do you want to stop any other movement that this world is presently dealing with, whether it's the woke position or anything else? And these fires are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. You go forth and you preach Christ. You live for Christ. Let the within yourself. Everything is right. And I'll show you in Scripture where we have to go forth to make things right. We preach the Word of God. We cannot be pretenders anymore. And that's the area we need to look at. Let's go back to chapter 13 now. That was all the beginning of the process. In chapter 13, we find an amazing statement here in verse 11. And behold, and, and I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns. Now, wait a minute. When does a lamb have two horns? It doesn't. But why is it that this lamb looks like it has two horns? I struggled over this, and the word, the word for horn is karas. K-E-R-A-S. It means leadership. And when we think about the leadership, the first one, this kind of gives me the example of what this beast was and what this beast is. Now, many times people are trying to say right now, well, what do you mean that the beast was and the beast is? Remember this, is that we are now at the midpoint of the tribulation in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. We are now at the midpoint. There are so many things that have already happened. First of all, there is a war between the beast and the two witnesses. The two witnesses died, and literally they are brought up. We don't know when the Antichrist is going to receive the deadly wound of the sword in his, in his head. That's about the only place that you can see it. Look at verse 15. Um, let me read verse 14. And see that dwell of the earth by the means that of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, seeing them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So the reality is, was that a sword in the head? Was that through the heart? We don't know. But whatever it is, this one is going to live. He should have died. And as he lives... The reality that comes into place is this. He has also changed. Satan has no power but what God gives him to have the power over. Let's repeat that. Satan has no power, no ability, no strength whatsoever to, to do what he wants to do unless God is with him, unless God gives him permission. Do, how many of us remember Job? Do you realize that Job was a fabulous man? He had many possessions. He had many things. And he told, asked God one question. He goes, well, you tear down the head. You stop caring for him. And let me touch everything he had. I mean, Job lost everything. His possessions, his lands, his money. You name it. He had it all, including his sons and daughters. And yet he maintained his integrity. In chapter 2, we find that Satan once again goes back before, before God and he goes, well, I've been everywhere, but, you know, there's no change. And, and here's the thing that God said, do you know the integrity of Job? Well, let me just tell you something, Father. Take away from the hedge and touch his skin. And he'll curse thy name. 
You know what God told him? You can do anything you want to Job, but don't you touch his life. Do you realize that the days we have upon this earth are written before us so that we might know the presence of God? I don't care how much time we may spend in it. This is all for God's sake. And Job was went through some terrible times with the boils. And even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, the hardest part is, is that when we have people that we are so close to, and we examine ourselves and we say, what did I do to deserve their angst? What did I do to deserve their, their, their hatred of me? What have I done that would cause them to dislike me? But when somebody is close to us, that we have just shown nothing but good over and again, then the reality is, is that it pains us deeply. Job had this, the hardest hit of all when his wife spoke out against him. In the modern culture we live in, the wife would have left. In the modern culture we live in, the wife would have left. But the beauty is that this wife stayed with her husband. So much so that later on Job had more children. And at the very end, we read how that they were the most beautiful of all the children that had ever been born. The most beautiful men and the most beautiful women. I regress. The reality is, is that we have two heads or two horns that are there. The first horn shows me the humanity of the first beast. You realize that he has now made the proclamation that I... Then he receives the deadly wound. And as he receives the deadly wound, there's a couple of things we know immediately. That there, there is a change in this man. Look at verse 12. And he exercises all the power of the first beast. Now there's the first beast. There's the, all the power that is there. Before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast. In other words, we see the power of and the remedy of that first horn, but then the second horn says, oh, but the wound is now healed, and I will take possession. Verse 13, and he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. You realize one of the things that will happen is God is going to give Satan the permission and the ability to do whatever is requires to bring a lost people flocking unto Satan. Man, this is, this is something serious. And people will now flock. May I point this out to you? Once again, everywhere that I look out, I see the preparation that is in place, the preparation that is in store, that every little thing is going to occur to make people ready. Do you know, think about this for a moment. When we were growing up, one of the things that was so taboo was something called a tattoo. What about now? What about now? People are tattooed, and again, I, I'm not trying to get on somebody's case because they want to put ink on their body. They can do whatever they want. But I am one of those people that I believe that we are showing that we don't want Christ in our lives when we bring ink on our bodies. 
I've seen people that they've had their arms inked or their, their stomach inked or anything like that. Like someone said, they put a woman on their chest and it looked like she became an old hag as he got older, but we'll leave that alone. But the reality is, is that the more people are seen with this tattoo, the more accepting they will be of the things to come. What we see here right now is the proof. When that Antichrist stands up, when that beast stands up and says, unless you receive the mark of 666, either in the forehead or in the back of the right hand, I'm sorry, you can't buy or trade or anything else. How many of us are ready for that? Praise God, we're not even going to be a part of that. I don't believe we are. I believe that this is in subject to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see in Revelation chapter 4 when it announces that the beginning of that age is over with. And we see that when the message begins that once more the Holy Spirit is protecting the Jews. But may I point this out to you. The rest of the world will blindly follow after the miracles. And they, you know, it's amazing to me. And, and I talked to Timothy yesterday who's in prison. And he told me, he said, Dad, he said, do you realize that the rights of others supersedes the right of Christians? We have to have Muslims come in and be catered to by their message. We have to give catering to the Satanists as they come in with their message. Our jails are catering to evil. And then comes that cry, where's the promise? Where's the promise? You say that he's going to come again. Where's the promise? No, wait a minute. You are in jail because you deserve being in jail. You've been found guilty and you're not found innocent. So you deserve to be there. May I point this out to you? Every one of us deserves to be in hell today. But the mercies of God is extended towards us that we might know the truth of who Christ is. We're going to stop here right now and then Lord's willing next week we're going to come in and we'll finish up all about more of the beast. Let's go ahead and let's be dismissed in a final word of prayer. Lord, again, we want to thank you for the opportunity to stand before the congregation. Help us to be faithful in all things and may we rejoice in thee. In Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed.